With every story we hear, listen to, read, or tell, we make basic human connections that help define who we are. Welcome to Afterwards Paranormal, the podcast devoted to those stories that tell us who we are when we're in the dark. Listen closely now. The dark is speaking, and the need to be heard never dies. Welcome to It's a Haunted Day in the Neighborhood. Come with us now to places both famous and infamous, where the dead walk right beside the living. Bonaventura Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia, is a place that defies expectations. Widely recognized as a hauntingly beautiful cemetery, it has captured the imaginations of writers, poets, naturalists, photographers, and filmmakers for over 150 years. Let me share some intriguing details about this remarkable cemetery. Location and Beauty Bonaventura Cemetery is located on the 17-mile-long Wilmington River, approximately three miles from downtown Savannah. The cemetery is described as a natural cathedral with winding paths lined by stoic live oak trees draped in Spanish moss. Vibrant azaleas and camellias add bursts of color during spring and summer. Haunted Beginnings The land was initially purchased in 1762 by a politically active British loyalist named John Mulrine. After the American War of Independence, Loyalists faced persecution, and Mr. Mulrine's land was seized and auctioned off. The property changed hands several times until 1907, when the city of Savannah officially acquired it and declared it a public cemetery. Ghostly Legends Visitors and paranormal enthusiasts are drawn to Bonaventura Cemetery due to its many legends. One of these legends revolves around a statue of a little girl holding two small bowls, one in each hand. Little Windy, as the statue is referred to, once stood sentinel over the Trosdale family plot. Legend has it that the statue is haunted by the ghost of Lorraine Greenman, the little girl who posed for the artist Sylvia Shaw Judson. Besides the haunted statue, there are tales of ghost dogs and the spirit of a little girl named Gracie Watkins. The six-year-old girl died of pneumonia and was memorialized in marble by artist John Waltz from nothing but a photograph. For years, people have reported seeing a little girl that fits her description playing in Johnson Square where her father's hotel once stood. Legend claims that she appears as a normal living girl in a white dress who vanishes without a trace when you get too close. To some, little Gracie still lives. Visitors leave toys for her to play with, especially around Christmas time, and claim she cries tears of blood if her playthings are removed. The cemetery's allure extends beyond its physical beauty, stirring emotions in generations of visitors. Whether you're a history enthusiast or seeker of the supernatural, Bonaventura Cemetery offers a unique and impactful experience. 
Do you know of a place that is supposedly haunted? Have you experienced one yourself? Write to afterwardsstories at gmail.com and tell your tale. Hello and welcome to episode 123 of Afterwards Paranormal. I'm your host, Shelby. Let's face it, people are trashy. The average American consumer generates approximately five pounds of trash each day, while a family produces about 18 pounds daily. Over the course of a year, this adds up to 1,642 pounds per person and 6,570 pounds per family. That's 292 million tons of trash per year produced by the USA alone. The impact on the planet is scary enough, and if you're a dark thinker like me, you might be wondering, or hoping, something much scarier might just be lurking under all that garbage. It's certainly true in our story, The Dump, by Joe R. Lansdale. In the story, it seems the dump caretaker has a very special pet, one that enjoys eating more than leftover hamburgers. I researched haunted dumps and cryptids found in trash only to come up empty-handed. However, I did come across an article on some cryptids I might encounter right here at home in good old Utah. This is an article from Utah Stories by Danny B. Stewart, 2022. We've all seen the top whatever lists that populate the media. The top 10 friendliest this or the top 5 most dangerous that. Some of you may even remember scrolling across something along the lines of the top most ominous or scary monster sightings. I know I have, and my response to these is always, Why? Because the authors will, without fail, pick and choose the most well-known, popular, and in my well-educated opinion, beaten-to-death local legends and or mysterious events. Come on. How many times can we talk about the Bear Lake Monster, the most famous of Utah's monsters, before we realize that there are more interesting beasties lurking in our backyards? With that in mind, I present to you the top five, in my modest opinion, most interesting creature monsters encounters in Utah. Number five, the Utah Lake Monster. Utah Lake doesn't get the spooky credit it deserves. And after taking into consideration all of the people who have drowned or disappeared in this lake, plus the planes and boats that are still said to be lying at the bottom of the shallow and muddy lake, where the deepest part is supposed to be no more than 14 feet. There are monsters in this lake, and monster sightings that can be traced back to the Ute Native Americans and later on by pioneers in the area. The oddest of these beings are called the water babies also known as water kelpies or merfolk. Utah Lake has them, and they are not to be messed with. I heard from a friend's boss's daughter's yoga instructor that they have heard the baby-like cries of the water babies when walking near the lake at night. Number 4. The Lizard People of Utah for most of my life, I've heard the stories of the seven-foot-tall reptilian humanoids that secretly rule the world. This is a tasty bit of conspiracy-based folklore that has been spreading around the Internet for some time. 
But it just so happens that some of these creatures might be found beneath the Salt Lake City Temple. Why? Probably due to the relationship between this kind of lore and anti-Mormon rhetoric. Nevertheless, in 2020, I received a story from a gentleman who, while in the locker room of the Ogden YMCA, claimed to have seen a naked man leaving the shower area and the locker room itself. He left without getting dressed. But the thing that stuck out to the witness the most was that this man had a four-foot lizard's tail. The witness claimed that this was true evidence of the lizard people. Number three, the werewolves of Provo, Utah. This is a series of sightings that I collected from Provo vagrants. I first heard about these beasts in 2009 and subsequently in 2011 and 2014. I was personally told that without a doubt, there are werewolves that lurk in the train yard area east of Provo's University Avenue and south of 600 South. They aren't dangerous as long as you leave them alone, but if you mess with them in any way, you had better watch out. This kind of story also falls into the popular dog band folklore. Number two, the Provo Center Street Slender Man. There is a back alleyway at 368 West Center Street in Provo, where there are sightings of a seven-foot-tall slender man in a suit and funny hat who will stare at you from different points within the alley if you are in the wrong, or is at the right place, at a given time. But that's not all. There have also been sightings of three-foot-tall naked gnomes in this same alleyway. Number one. The Holiday Howlers Shortly after Christmas Day in 2013, a man and a woman, two folklorists in love, had an encounter with what they hypothesized to be nature spirits. Around 1 o'clock a.m., the two entered Provo's Grandview Park from the north side path entrance and began walking across the grassy field when they heard an odd howling. They looked over at the farthest west side of the park and saw, standing next to the large coniferous trees, two large purple humanoids. Their shapes were distorted and kept changing size from three feet to eight feet in height. The beings didn't move from their spot, but their arms kept stretching out in varying lengths while howling at the couple. The couple took this as a warning and immediately left the park. I don't know if I'd be down for purple monster stretchy arms reaching toward me, but the thought of werewolves in my state thrills me no end, because they are, after all, my favorite monsters. You are listening to Afterwards Paranormal, the podcast that offers you dark tales from literature, lore, and you the listener. If you're interested in contributing stories to the show, please stay tuned after the story for details. Champion Mojo storyteller Joe R. Lansdale has written novels and stories in many genres, including Western, horror, science fiction, mystery, and suspense. He has also written for comics as well as Batman, the animated series. As of 2020, 
He has written 50 novels and published more than 30 short story collections, along with many chapbooks and comic book adaptations. His stories have won 10 Bram Stoker Awards, a British Fantasy Award, an Edgar Award, a World Horror Convention Grand Master Award, a Sugar Prize, a Grin Zane Cavier Prize for Literature, a Spur Award, and a Raymond Chandler Lifetime Achievement Award. He has been inducted into the Texas Literary Hall of Fame, and several of his novels have been adapted to film. And now, The Dump by Joe R. Lansdale. Me? I like it here just fine. Don't see no call for me to move on. Dump's been my home nigh on twenty years, and I don't think no highfalutin city sanitation law. Should make me have to pack up and move on. If I'm going to work here, I ought to be able to live here. Me and Otto. Where is that sucker anyway? I let him wander about some on Sundays. Rest of the time I keep him chained inside the hut there, out of sight. Wouldn't want him biting folks. Well, as I was saying, the dump's my home. Best damn home I ever had. I'm not a college man, but I got some education. I read a lot. Ought to look inside that shack and see my bookshelves. I may be dumpyard supervisor, but I'm no fool. Besides, there's more to this dump than meets the eye. Excuse me. Otto! Otto! Here, boy! Dad bum his hide. He's gotten bad about not coming when I call. Now, as I was saying about the dump, There's more here than meets the eye. You ever thought about all that garbage, boy? They bring anything and everything here, and I doze her under. There's animal bodies. That's one of the things that really interests old Otto. Paint, all kinds of chemical containers, lumber, straw, brush, you name it. I doze all that stuff under, and it heats up. Why, if you put a thermometer under that earth, Check the heat that stuff puts out while it's breaking down and turn into compost. It would be up there, boy, way up there, sometimes over a hundred degrees. I've plowed that stuff open and seen the steam flow out of there like a cloud. Could feel the heat of it. It was like being in one of them fancy baths, saunas, they call them. Hot, boy, real hot. Now you think about it. All that heat. All those chemicals and dead bodies and such. Makes an awful mess. A weird blend of nature's refuse. Real weird. And with all that incubating heat, well, you consider it. I'm going to tell you something that I ain't never told anybody else. Something that happened to me a couple of years ago. One night, me and Pearlie, that was a friend of mine, and we called him that on account of he had the whitest teeth you'd ever seen. Darn things look painted, they were so white. Let's see, where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, me and Pearlie. Well, we were sitting around out here one night shooting the breeze and, you know, sharing a pint. Pearlie, he used to come around from time to time and we'd always split a bottle. He used to be a legit old time hobo, rolled the rails all over this country. Well, I reckon he was going on seventy years, if not better, but he acted twenty years younger. He'd come around and we'd talk and sit and snort and roll us some of that Prince Albert, which we'd smoke. We had some good laughs, we did. I miss old Pearlie sometimes. So that night, 
We let the bottle leak out pretty good, and Pearlie, he's telling me about this time down in Texas in a boxcar with a river trash girl, and he stops mid-sentence, right at the good part, and says, You hear that? I said, I don't hear nothing. Go on with your story. He nodded and told the tale, and I laughed and laughed. He could laugh better at his own stories and jokes than anyone I'd ever seen. After a bit, Pearlie gets up and walks out beyond the firelight to relieve himself, you know. And then he comes back right quick, sipping his fly and walking as fast as them stiff old legs of his will take him. There's something out there, he says. Sure, I say. Armadillos, coons, possums, maybe a stray dog. No, he says. Something else. Aw. I've been a lot of places, boy, he says. He always called me boy on account of I was 20 years younger than he was. And I'm used to hearing critters walk about. That don't sound like no damn possum or stray dog to me. Something bigger. I start to tell him that he's full of it, you know. And then I hear it, too. And a stench like you wouldn't believe floats into camp here. A stench like a grave opened on a decomposing body, one full of maggots and the smell of earth and death. It was strong, and I got a little sick, what with all that rock gut in me. Pearlie says, You hear it? And I did. It was the sound of something heavy, crunching down that garbage out there, moving closer and closer to the camp, like it was a fear to the fire, you know. I got the heebie-jeebies, and I went into the hut there and got my double barrel. When I came out, Pearlie had pulled a little thirty-two colt out of his waistband and made a torch from the fire, and he was heading out there in the dark. Wait a minute, I called. You just stay put, boy. I'll see to this, and I'll see whatever it is gets a hole in it maybe six. So I waited. The wind picked up and that horrible stench drifted in again, very strong this time. Strong enough so that I puked up that hooch I'd drunk. And then suddenly from the dark, while I'm leaning over, throwing my guts out on the ground, I hear a shot, and another one, and another. I got up and started calling for Pearlie. Stay the hell where you are, he called. I'm coming back. Another shot, and then Pearlie seemed to fold out of the darkness and come into the light of the fire. What is that, Pearlie? I asked. What is that? Pearlie's face was as white as his teeth. He shook his head. Ain't, ain't never seen nothing like it. Listen, boy, we got to get the hell out of Dodge. That sucker, it's... He let his voice trail off and he looked towards the darkness beyond the firelight. Come on, Pearlie, what is it? I tell you, I don't know. I couldn't see real good with that there torch, and it went out before too long. I heard it down there crunching around over there by that big hill of garbage. I nodded. That was a pile I'd heaped up with dirt for a long time. I intended to break it open the next time I dozed, push some new stuff in with it. It it was coming out of that pile, Pearlie said. It was wriggling like a great gray worm, but there were legs all over it. Fuzzy legs. And the body it was... Jelly-like. Lumber, fence wire, and all manner of crap was sticking out of it, sticking out of it like it belonged there, just as natural as a shell on a turtle's back or, or the whiskers on a cougar's face. It had a mouth, a big mouth, like a railway tunnel, and what looked like teeth. But the brand went out then. I fired some shots. It was still wriggling out of that garbage heap. It was too dark to stay there. He cut in mid-sentence. The smell was strong now, solid as a wall of bricks. It's moving into camp, I said. 
Must have come from all that garbage, Pearlie said. Must have been born in all that heat and slime. Or come up from the center of the earth, I said, though I figured Pearlie was a mite near closer to right. Pearlie put some fresh loads in his revolver. This is all I got, he said. I want to see it eat buckshot, I said. Then we heard it. Very loud, crunching down those mounds of garbage like they was peanut hulls. And then there was silence. Pearlie, he moved back a few steps from the double barrel toward the shack. I aimed the double barrel toward the dark. Silence went on for a while. Why, you could have heard yourself blink. But I wasn't blinking. I was watching out for that critter. Then I heard it. But it was behind me. I turned just in time to see a fuzzy tentacle slither out from behind the shack and grab old Pearlie. He screamed and the gun fell out of his hand. And from the shadows, a head showed. A huge, worm-like head with slitted eyes and a mouth large enough to swallow a man. Which is what it did. Pearlie didn't make that thing two gulps. Wasn't nothing left of him but a scrap of flesh hanging on the thing's teeth. I emptied a load of buckshot in it, slammed the gun open, and loaded her again. By that time it was gone. I could hear it crashing off in the dark. I got the keys to the dozer and walked around the back of the shack on tiptoe. It didn't come out of the dark after me. I cranked the dozer, turned on the spotlights, and went out there after it. It didn't take long to find it. It was moving across the dump like a snake, slithering and a-looping as fast as it could go, which wasn't too fast right then. It had a lump in its belly, an undigested lump. Poor old Pearly. I ran it down pinned it to the chain-link fence on the far side of the dump and used my dozer blade to mash up against it. I was just fixing to gun the motor and cut that sucker's head off when I changed my mind. Its head was sticking up over the blade, those slitted eyes looking at me, and there, buried in that worm-like face, was the face of a puppy. You get a lot of him out here. Well, it was alive now. Head was still mashed in it like the first time I saw it, but it was moving. The head was wriggling right there in the center of that worm's head. I took a chance and backed off from that thing. It dropped to the ground and didn't move. I flashed the lights over it. Pearly was seeping out of that thing. I don't know how else to describe it, but he seemed to be drifting out of that jelly-like hide, and when his face and body were halfway out of it, he stopped moving and just hung there. I realized something then. It was not only created by the garbage and the heat, it lived off it, and whatever became its food became a part of it. That puppy and old Pearlie were now a part of it. Now don't misunderstand me. Pearlie, he didn't know nothing about it. He was alive in a fashion. He moved and squirmed, but like that puppy, he no longer thought. He was just a hair on that thing's body, same as the lumber and the wire and such that stuck out of it. And the beast... Well, it wasn't too hard to tame. I named it Otto. It ain't got no trouble at all. Getting so it don't come when I call. But that's on account of I ain't had nothing to reward it with. Until you showed up. Before that, I had to kind of help it root dead critters out of the heaps. Sit down. I've got Pearlie's 32 here. And if you move, I'll plug you. Oh, here comes Otto now.
friend in me You've got a friend in me When the road looks rough ahead And you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed You just remember what your old past said Boy, you got a friend in me Yeah, you got a friend in me Well, I'd love to stay and chat, but now I think it's time to take out the trash. Thank you so much for joining me here on Afterwards Paranormal. I've been your host, Shelby. And as always, I leave the last words for you. Thank you for listening to Afterwards Paranormal Podcast. Please join us on Patreon and Facebook. You can listen to Afterwards Paranormal on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Contact us at afterwardsstories at gmail.com. And remember, the need to be heard never dies. <laughs>